Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Consider This. I am in the studio today with the Reverend Drew Henderson, our resident Bonhoeffer Restoration Movement scholar. So thank you for being here today, Drew. Real mashup. Welcome. As well as our resident systematic theologian, (laughs) Sir Ryan Vincent. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. And always thank you to Steve Broadway for his hard work behind the scenes. Um, last week, you may have listened to our podcast on critiquing Sunnybrook, cr- critiquing the model that we've chosen to um, to use in our church here, our ecclesiology, our practical ecclesiology maybe. And um, what are some of the good things? What are some of the maybe potential downfalls? And this week, we're going to be looking at maybe the other side so we do, we're not saying necessarily in competition, right? But there's a different model out there. Um, might be called the attractional church model. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might say it's a more evangelistic-focused model. They're going for the seeker. They're looking to get people across the curb that wouldn't normally come to church, the lost or those who have been burned by the church in the past. Mm-hmm. That'd be a fair general summary. Would you guys like to add anything to that, just in general, brief statement? Yes. What explain when you said practical ecclesiology? What do you mean by that? No, that's a great question. Um, ecclesiology is the study of the church, a formal word for what it means to be the ch- what is the church. Uh, practical ecclesiology would be how does the church function? So yeah. what does the church do? What are what are the convictions that a particular church holds? We have convictions. Right? Yep. We, we recognize some of our convictions, and we believe it's a faithful conviction to who God is, what he has done, what he has asked of his church, and it's faithful to the scriptures, it's faithful to the gospel, um, while not claiming to be perfect, mm-hmm. while not claiming to have it all together, while not claiming that we, there are not things that we want to improve upon in the years to come. Um, not and again, not assuming that if we get, do things better, we're going to somehow win all of Stillwater. We're going to somehow win everybody in our country and our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just simply, we want to be faithful to what God has laid out for us in the text, and that's a practical ecclesiology, I would say. So the practice of how you you know would quote do church or how you would approach church, sure, yeah, kind of as Sunnybrook Christian Church or any church. Yep. Okay. So why? Why are we here in the studio? Um, why does it matter? So that's kind of two questions. Um, Drew, Ryan, would you mind taking the why are we in the studio to cover some of this? Mm-hmm. And then, Drew, if you would kind of go into why does this matter for our listener? Why does yeah. um, somebody from Sunnybrook or somebody outside of Sunnybrook, one of our faithful listeners, um, why does this have any care? Is this just kind of boring talk that church people do? Right. Um we're in here talking about it really because this is the second part of a two-part series where, like you mentioned, we, we've already critiqued ourselves and now we want to look at, at the other side of it. But really what we're the, – the reason that we want to talk about this is because Sunnybrook's model we, – we call it a discipleship model, but Sunnybrook's flavor of a discipleship model is, is both for something and against something. We, we kind of – we have these principles that guide us, but we are also – there are principles that guide others that we – I don't know if reject is the right word, but we, we intentionally don't line up there. And so um, 
in an effort to better understand who we are and how we feel the Spirit is leading us to do church, to, to work out our practical ecclesiology, contrast can be incredibly clarifying. And so I think it's a, it's a good thing for us to get in here and to describe um, what it is we, we, we look different than. And, and I think that we'll also describe some of the things that we actually envy about that side of the model and some of the things that we believe that we should probably look at incorporating at some point in the near future, because it's not all bad. There's a redemptive side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, a lot of it does frustrate us, and a lot of it we sure. feel runs contrary to Scripture. So we're in here to talk about that because we believe that we should be take a very honest inventory at at how the spirit is leading us to to shepherd this flock and and we are not so foolish as to believe that we've nailed it sure um i don't think that we've intentionally done something against the spirit but we believe that the spirit is always asking us to grow and to to continue to to look at better and better ways to shepherd this community and so looking at the other models out there and seeing what we can learn from them both on the, ah, we shouldn't do that side, and on the, no, that's a great idea. We really probably should find ways to do that. That's a good conversation for us to have, and we want to we have it both at the leadership level, but we kind of like having these conversations in, in the public sphere as well. Yep. So why does it matter, Drew? So why does it matter? So, you know, we have a lot of people that might be listening to this. I don't even know who listens to this, so I would assume a lot of people that don't go to church here, many that do go to church here, a lot of people um, that may listen to this might be very familiar with what we're talking about, the difference between an attractional church and a non-attractional church. On the other hand, some people might be like, I thought all churches were just churches, mm-hmm. right? I thought we all worship Jesus, and it's basically the same. And So I think one of the practical things that came to mind as I was thinking about this was you know, many times when people will— uh, maybe move away. And I'm thinking specifically here from Stillwater. It's a community that you know, college students will come in and then leave, or families will come in for a short time and then move on. And uh, then they're in, in the kind of business of going to a new city, new town, finding a new or different church. And I think one of the common things that we hear back all of the time, and I think it's something to be proud of, is, you know, there, I just can't find another Sunnybrook, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's all these different flavors. And of churches, different, you know, they, some churches like social action, or some churches like, you know, Bible study, or they, some churches are just really good at getting people in the door, and uh, like, while I think it's something to be proud of, I think it, it, at the same time, I don't know if we do a good job helping people really discern, or mm-hmm. in a, that not being at Sunnybrook is okay, mm-hmm. and there are different kinds of churches that you might even be able to be a member of and be a part of, might even be uh, better for you, might be better for you, who knows, but I think there's kind of breaking down some of that of idea that all churches are the same because there are different flavors approaches um, that are when taken to an extreme are a lot different than the way we would approach our mm-hmm. our church model or as Justin said our ecclesiology right <laughs> so those things so different different ways of, of approaching church um, so I think that would be one of the the main main reasons why this this discussion is important let's do this I was thinking about this this morning um, what? Let's just give some names mm-hmm. of some churches that people might look at and say, "Oh, like we would we would refer to them as as an attractional church." What would you guys? I think like the, what would be some some different churches? So going back farther, we did a podcast on what does it mean or what would it look like if a leader fell, 
Mm-hmm. And that was because of the things we heard from a Bill Hybels and an Andy Stanley and some others. And so they are actually leaders of some of this, this mm-hmm. attractional church model. Willow right. Creek up in Chicago, um, Andy Stanley's church. I can't think of its name right now. North Point. North Point. Point. Wow, that was awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, Life Church. These are kind of the big, very out front Churches like so they can be maybe. large churches. Yeah. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. Doesn't have to be, but it's more their their approach toward sure. ministry. Yeah, and a lot of times when we say grow and when they say grow, we might actually be meaning two, two different, different things. things. Sure. Um, with an attractional church, grow means getting more people in the door so that more people can hear the gospel. I think that's truly the heart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good thing, right? We would not say that's bad. Mm-hmm. Have more people sure. hear the gospel. Yeah. But when we say grow, we actually don't care as much about how many people are here as much as helping Ryan Vincent take a step in spiritual maturity. Our goal is to help Drew Henderson recognize the spiritual condition and take responsibility for his spiritual maturity, which is growth for mm-hmm. us. So like a tree grows, not necessarily reproducing other trees, but just growing in, in its height and its width and its and its roots. And so. yeah. I think it's a great point to mention not – it, size isn't the only indicator of attractional churches. I guess yeah. those who are very good at being attractional churches might have mm-hmm. amassed a certain size at some point. But um, I've I've spent some time over the last year um, working with and and teaching or preaching at a, a small church in another town in Oklahoma. That is the town itself is smaller than Stillwater. the The church is probably four to five hundred people at the most. A very attractional model that mm-hmm. is. That's emphasis is on community outreach so as to draw people into these big, exciting worship services. Yep. And and one of their the things that they're trying to figure out, they're not ignoring it. They just they're trying to sort through what it looks like to when we get them here, what do we do with them? But they're really good at getting them there in a in a small context. So it's not it doesn't have to be these, you know, ten, twelve thousand people mega churches. It can be you know, there are smaller churches in Stillwater, not Life Church. I mean, Life Church would be one of them, but there are other churches in Stillwater that would have an attractional mindset. Okay. Yep. So that's a little bit of some of the, the why. Tell us, like, how did this happen? Where did this, not necessarily a split as in these are enemies, right? But these, this is a, we've decided to go with this conviction. We've decided to go with this conviction. And so there are these two models, right, for churches. Um, where did this attractional church mindset come from? Where did this model rise from? Give us a little bit of the background as to the history maybe of this. Okay. Drew? So it would be uh, maybe a little bit too simple. Kind of go back just a little bit before we go forward. Mm-hmm. But it, we talk about more of the attractional model, um, which kind of exists for those, oversimplification, but exists for those outside the church. Then uh, what we talked about last week on the podcast, which was the what we've called the discipleship model, not that they're against one another. And what we really mean, I thought this is interesting last week, what we really mean by being a discipleship church is being a church that has a, a big emphasis on teaching and on pastoral care. So mm-hmm. while we would even have uh, defined pillars, that it, it is more than teaching and pastoring people, when it gets right down to it, that's where typically we fall and kind of where our strengths are. But uh, to understand the idea of the attractional church and where that came from, um, funny that you asked that question, Justin, because I've printed off and done some research this <laughs> week. so um, not surprising yes, to me, um, actually. 
But it does have, it's, it's not like all of a sudden someone had an idea, hey, let's build a big church building in the United States and we'll do like a really cool service and we'll have a ton of people that show up. That really wasn't the beginning of it at all. Kind of going back into the uh, 1960s, 1970s, um, there were a large group of people, uh, missiologists basically, and what that is is someone that studies missions. So mm-hmm. they they know, you know, kind of the idea of different people groups that exist in, in the world and the world that needs to be reached with the gospel. So you had a couple guys, Peter Wagner's one of them, a guy named Ralph Winter is, is uh, another one of these guys. They kind of had this idea that, okay, we believe that, that the Great Commission is, is such a big deal, that reaching those outside of Christ is, is such a big deal, that we have to know exactly who these people are. We can't just just randomly do we can't just randomly send people to different areas across we have to know who is unreached what what where do they live mm-hmm. what what people group would they be from and so they came up with a list literally if you've kind of done any research on that but a list of all these different people groups that are mm-hmm. unreached and so that was kind of the idea with an evangelistic passion behind mm-hmm. all of it and came up with this and um kind of this way of thinking um, going to a guy this week, I was reading, his name's Ed Stetzer, and uh, he said this about kind of that whole movement, which is the church growth movement and where the attractional church comes from. He says, church growth is that discipline which investigates the nature, function, and health of Christian churches, okay, as they relate to the effective implementation of the Lord's great commission to make disciples of all peoples, which mm-hmm. we would say amen to, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And here, here's the part that they make a little bit of a distinction. He says, it's a spiritual conviction, yet it is practical, uh, mm-hmm. combining the eternal principles of God's word with the practical insights of social and behavioral, behavioral sciences. So they bring in like sociology into the picture, like mm-hmm. who are these people groups? What's going on with them? What are their needs? What has caused them to be in the situation? Uh, how can we do all of the things that we could possibly do um, so that they might be reached? So that was the idea behind that movement and the beginning church growth movement. And then where it came to, to us really in the 1970s, 80s, 90s was how we applied this to the church uh, during those times here in the United States. And so we took that, that idea and laid it on top of our church practice mm-hmm. and really concentrated on the end of that statement right? People's needs, um, what they're going through, and then take their needs, put them up front. And with the idea that they need to hear the gospel, we, so we kind of begin this felt need uh, mm-hmm. time in the church. And so going to not preach sermons through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We're going to preach sermons on marriage and on parenting, uh, parenting mm-hmm. and you know, different things like this, things that are even good or beneficial yeah. to By talk the way, about. We, we have have sermons that focus on marriage, and we're going to do a class focus on parenting. Sure. Right? A sermon so, series on parenting. Yeah, sure. So not not even condemning that, but sure. And so what happened was, is then all of a sudden that method sort of overtook the mission, right? And mm-hmm. so it became about more about not necessarily belief or kind of our our deeper convictions and what we what we believe in, but it became. Oversimplification again. It became more and more about the person than than kind of the, the greater mission of the church. So anyway, that that's where it came from and where it we kind of swung the pendulum 
probably yeah. a little bit on the on the other end. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We yeah. talk about that a lot here at Sunnybrook. Yeah. How the pendulum swings naturally in anything and mm-hmm. even in us. And I feel like one of the things we try to do is be a church that doesn't go to too far one way or the other. Yep. We recognize where the pendulum has been or where it's going, the extremes of it, and then we try to find where we can be faithful in the middle of it. Um, so let's go into a little bit. Let's just dive in. What are some of our critiques and what are some of the benefits? So I, I think as we talk about this, we're going to have both, right? It's going to be hard to say only the negative without also recognizing some of the positive. And it would be really hard to just lift it up without saying but and yet. Yeah. Um, so, Ryan, what are some of your natural critiques of this model and um, your thoughts on it? Well, one of the things, you know, I wonder if in, in just about any church model, so attractional discipleship or whatever, if sometimes we were going to run into issues by the simple fact uh, uh, that we only have a limited number of people and resources to do certain things. And, and I just wonder if the size of our churches sometimes becomes a, a bit of a stumbling block because now... Well, let's just take Sunnybrook, for example. Now we have an average weekly attendance during kind of the school year of 12-ish hundred and a, a ministry staff of, what, 12, 11, 12, and then we have a great group of elders, a large group of elders, and, and an incredible army of volunteers. And yet everything that we would say that the church, uh, that, that our, we feel is our responsibility, I would wonder if we actually have the bandwidth to do it all. Mm. You know? And yeah. so... In some ways, what happens is you, you start when you start to pick your hobby horses, you are by definition choosing not to do something else or not to emphasize it mm-hmm. to the to the degree that it maybe merits. And so when when an attractional church, when the emphasis is on getting people in and and enticing the unbelievers or the skeptics or the very immature believers, to come become a part of something that they aren't already a part of. Um, so much energy goes into that. I wonder if in the end, do we have enough manpower or bandwidth or just simple like energy left in the gas tank to then like go through the process of teaching them and equipping them as, as Paul instructs us to do in, um, in Ephesians 4, that we, as ministers, we're here to equip the saints for ministry. And I wonder if the attractional model accidentally, I don't know if it's intentionally, I think it's just, it might just be the result of their model. If they, they put so much emphasis on, on creating the believer or, or bringing the believer here that they, they don't have anything left to develop them and to grow them into maturity. Um, that's where, you know, if we emphasize teaching and pastoral care, attractional churches have a harder time with that because their focus is elsewhere and you know throw the grenades back at us we have a harder time with what they're good at because our focus is here Mm -hmm. right and and we're not saying that what they're doing to get people in the doors is always inappropriate sometimes it might be inappropriate or even always bad in fact i look at it and i think wow that that looks great (laughs) Mm mm-hmm I don't know if I'm willing to, to jettison what, we, what we've decided to emphasize, though. I wish I could do it all, and sure. maybe there is a way that we could do more, you know? But I think that when you pick one, you're going to naturally de-emphasize the other one, and I worry when we de-emphasize 
the instruction and the, the growth and sanctification of the saints. Sure. I think in emphasizing getting people across the curb, a lot of times attractional churches don't do a good job of what you're saying, taking them somewhere. Uh, I had a guy who worked at a previous church I worked at, which was an attractional church, um, that said, what are we graduating people to? We just kind of, we want to get them across the curb, and then we have no plan for helping them grow. And that's what we would be concerned. And, and honestly, that is a uh, objectifiable reality, right? The reveal study that Willow Creek did not so long ago as to why they had so many people coming and converting, and then after two or three or five years, leaving. They didn't know why at a systematic level that was happening, and they came to find out they were reaching a ceiling at that church Mm -hmm. because there was no process for helping people go deep and to become mature in the faith, to get off of spiritual milk and move up to spiritual um, gelatins and then solids (laughs) and then steak, right? I mean, that's the reality. And and so then they would say, well, you guys, all you do is spit out steak and you have babies that are choking and don't even want the food yet. And so we have to hear that critique. Um, And I think that critique is fair. Sure, it definitely is. Um, and I, I think the other thing that I thought of, Drew, while you were speaking is the, the method became more important than the mission. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you bring in social sciences or the soft sciences, which is our, which are good things, and you try to recognize our postmodern culture and we try to engage at that level, it's so easy to get lost in that. It's so easy to get lost in kind of the rat race of, the next more creative, more on the edge thing, and you lose sight of the cross, and you lose sight of the gospel, and you lose sight of our role, as Ephesians 4 would say, to equip the saints for the ministry, right? And that's what we truly believe is our job to do. And um, that that's our, our deepest concern, essentially, is that mm-hmm. um, it, it might be like a flash in a pan, that they're really good at being flashy, and they're really good at getting people through the door, and their numbers may seem really high, Mm -hmm. but then you talk to people that have been there for a while, like we do all the time, and they just said, we we need something more. We need something more. And then our other concern, I guess, uh, we've seen in our town is if people leave here to go to that model, a lot of times it's not for reasons that we would say, yes, we're with our blessing, you go there. It's more of a we don't want to be too committed to – to our faith, and so we think this might be an easier route, and that frustrates us, right, that somehow the bar has been lowered for our commitment to Jesus, mm-hmm. and those people naturally tend to go toward this church. Yeah. Would you say that's a fair thing to say, or is that an unfair thing to say? That's fair. Um, I, th- I think one of the other things that if you're in one of these uh, church ministries where it's a little bit more on the attractional side— um, I think your context a lot of times determines how you how you minister, right? Mm. And so I've thought about this a lot with and, and why kind of some of these models might be appealing. And so it seems like the younger um, person that you get, whether it's a um, early childhood or preschool or a, a children's ministry, say, or even a youth ministry, um, all of a sudden you realize that your context, a short attention span, a it's what seems to be a lack of interest at a certain time, all of a sudden you become very driven and aware mm-hmm. of your context. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if this is going to work, I've got to get this to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got 50 minutes to fill 
and you know no one's paying attention right mm -hmm. and so i think that's applied also in the, in the same way even with adults where you're, you're dealing with a group of people that may or may not have some sort of interest or at least a, a moderate level of interest all of a sudden you become very aware of that and you start to ask the question okay what can i do because i think with the right heart what can i do to retain or to keep this person mm -hmm. engaged and then you find yourself chasing you know kind of the church circus or you know, what, what can I do? Done this a lot, even in student ministry, looking over the years that I've done it, the good ways that I feel like I've led through that. And then some, some poor ways as well. All of a sudden it's like, okay, so now we have, what's going to keep them engaged? What, what do I need to do to keep them paying attention mm -hmm. to what we're saying? But I think you're right on, on either side of that. You have people that might want to be a part of that for good or bad motives and need to be concerned. So what are some things that Sunnybrook could begin to implement without deviating from our convictions, hmm. right? So we truly do want to and believe in the conviction that we have to help people grow, to help people grow. Yeah. We are very not yeah. concerned necessarily about getting Sunnybrook to a higher number. We are fine with that. We're not against that. Um, if the spirit moved in that way, we would welcome it. Yeah, it's but not for the sake of the number; it's for the sake of the gospel. We are we not concerned yeah. with the name Sunnybrook being known. Jim is not concerned with getting on the platform at some big conference. Truly, he's not. He's actually stepped away from doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So what what can we do, Drew? I think you're really good at this. Maybe the best on our staff as far as being aware of those who are on the fringe, whether it's a student or an adult and you create events or opportunities specifically for that. Um, but what do you guys think? What are some things we can begin to implement here at Sunnybrook? Um, I think, um, well, one thing that they might, that the attractional model might be very good at um, is just the whole idea, and I know they talked about this on the last podcast, the idea of like on-ramps to mm -hmm. ministry or to the church. And it seems like the more attractional model churches just have endless amounts of, of on-ramps, like yeah. things that, and you hear that in the way that uh, ministry leader, leaders in those circles would speak. You know, we want to create irresistible environments that people want to be a part of, you know, um, those kind of, but they do a, a really good job answering some of those questions that people are having. Um uh, and I've heard the, the other side of that is sometimes we need to get people to ask different questions because they're mm -hmm. asking the wrong questions. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's kind of that tension that always exists. But since we're on the other side of that, I think we need to be aware of that. And one thing is, is that I think as a staff, we need to do a better job is we need to be aware of the distance that exists between us and not just the community generically, right? Or really those good. that are apart from Christ. I'm talking about people that are coming here every sure. week. So we could yeah. be out of, t we have the potential to be out of touch, to yes. be so engrossed in yes. being faithful to the text that yep. we completely ignore our people and the actual needs, not just felt yep. or like yep. hypothesized needs, mm -hmm. but actual needs. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I don't know, um, and I've looked at, even thought about this in my own ministry. I think I have done a pretty decent job, you know, getting people that aren't connected, more connected, mm -hmm. but a little bit more of a poorer job to help. The, I've kind of trusted community to do the rest of that job mm -hmm. when I probably need to put them in more specific areas. Yeah, a more systematic plan yeah. once you get them on board. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
but for sure, um, I, I think when we've talked about the JV varsity uh, illustration a lot, you know, and so if you're taking someone that's just coming here, we talk about not being an attractional church, which is kind of funny because all churches are attractional. Mm-hmm. They are attracting a certain type of person. I wouldn't say all churches, but whether it's— We a, attract yeah. a certain type yes, of person, we do. Yes. correct? Yeah, okay. a lot of churches. Right. Some churches. <laughs> so we— so whether what we stand for, the things that we do, our culture is going mm-hmm. to be attractive to a certain group. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we do a good like we do a great job with the whole deepening aspect of, of believers. But it's almost like, OK, if you want to be a varsity starter and you're ready to walk in to varsity starter, mm. uh, this is it for you. And some people are like, I think I'm a JV bench guy. I don't know if I like, and that's the truth. Yeah. What are you going to do if you're a JV bench guy? I'm not playing, right? Guys, I'm not even going team? out for the team. We, just <laughs> got a freshman team. we would say is good. Yes. That's them recognizing their spiritual condition. Yes. And we don't want sure. to put a JV bench player on the court when they're yep. not supposed to. When they and, and our concern is that we don't have a JV team. Sure. Yeah, it's like, I, lo- I, yeah. I love JV players, and I'm glad when they can recognize that that's the spot for them. And, yep. it, and it breaks my heart when they're like, and I got nothing to do here. Sure. Right. We don't want to have to cut a bunch of players that could potentially be great yep. or even just really helpful um, because we don't have enough squads. We yep. don't have enough coaches or whatever. Yeah. How, how far do we want to go down the rabbit hole of this illustration? No, a good here, one, man. Th- these metaphors are really good. They used two metaphors on the last podcast, and I actually want to try to push them to the point that they break real quick. Mm-hmm. So afford me the luxury um, so we've already talked about the on-ramps and i think that that was a great illustration we don't have enough on-ramps into our ministries at sunnybrook and i 100 percent agree that we need to figure out more avenues to get connected and plugged in and more places for people to to start to not just be a part of sunnybrook but start to engage with the gospel that's our that's our chief concern um but and, and this is where I'll, I'll kind of vouch for the model that we do have um, asking for some modifications to attract more, but holding firm on what we do already value really well. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 7 that the, the way is narrow, or the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few. And so while I want more on-ramps, the goal is to get you up onto the highway. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I think that's what the attractional church fails at, mm-hmm. is that they have lots of on-ramps, and they're just taking people back down to surface streets. And, mm-hmm. no, I want you to drive on the Autobahn mm-hmm. 85 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can. And I think that we have the the, the horsepower here to, to move you that direction over years, even yes. decades, right? Yes. And that's, that's our passion. I want to become passionate to help more people get onto that road, but I don't want to make that road any wider than Jesus says it already is. It's, it's a difficult one. And so... The attractional church sometimes they, they have lots of on ramps and they they just lower the the overall speed on the road and say this is kind of easy going mm-hmm. and it's like no you're going to go through that toll gate at 80 miles an hour that's what we're going to get you to do yeah. at some point and so I think that we will I, I trust that we will keep that in mind um, re- allowing the gates to remain narrow um, but maybe finding more gates sure. <laughs> and then the other thing that I really want to I, I think that they had a great illustration for was the university example where they kept saying we have lots of upper level you know junior and senior and master and doctoral classes and we don't have a lot for entry-level stuff and I want to a fill in the gaps where we need more freshman and sophomore level material or events or Mm -hmm. areas to serve and connect 
But what we can't do, if we're going to stick with the university illustration, we're not going to lower the admission standards. Hmm. You know, and that's I think really that that's what the attractional church actually accidentally, not intentionally, accidentally does. Sure. And then you, you look like Willow Creek when you turn around and you're like, we got to write this study that says we're 10 miles wide and a millimeter deep. Hmm. Because the truth is we've had a monster church, and I don't even know if all of these people are Christians. And so we're not going to lower the admission standards, but maybe we need to increase the value of the campus tour. I don't know. Get more people here so that they can hear the gospel. Yes. So we did a university, the Autobahn. I mean, we were covering it right there. JV basketball. JV JV basketball. basketball. Steak. Yes, steak. That was important. Mm -hmm. Gelatin. I had never heard the gelatin. As a Ron Swanson fan, we needed to get at least one steak or bacon illustration. Yeah. Um, So what I don't want people to hear is that, okay, in order to even walk in the doors at Sunnybrook, I need to have a certain level of something. I need to have, I need to be this spiritual mature, know this much in order to be admitted. No, we're not saying that. We're not saying the door is shut to anybody. The doors are open to Mm -hmm. anyone, right? But to be a member, the expectations are high. To be a Christian. To be a follower of Jesus, the expectations are high, and therefore we don't want to make a distinction between those. How can we say you can be part of the followers of Jesus while not actually doing the things that followers of Jesus are told to do in the Scriptures? Yeah. That's that's what we're trying to say, is not that everyone isn't welcome here. No, everyone is. We want unbelievers to come in the door. We want skeptics. We want immature believers to come in the door. And we want... And that's where we trust the power of the gospel and the moving of the spirit and the, the love that's found in the community of the people of God. I trust those things to work on people. And, and I, want, I want the unbelievers to come into contact with that kind of power. And, and what we need to do to get them here, let's do that so that they can engage mm-hmm. with the gospel. Because uh, another great Pauline text is we have, they have to be preached to in order to kind mm-hmm. of experience the yes. gospel. yes. And so let's facilitate that environment without saying, okay, now that you're here, you're good, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that we would do that. And, and, and that's where I think that we have a really great opportunity here to, to look at some new things to put in place or some old things to modify and shore up and say, how can we bring more in so that they hear this life-giving yes. message? And we're not going to change the message. Yep. So here are a couple of my freshman, sophomore class ideas is we have a lot of people in our church who have been here for a while that still don't feel confident sharing their faith, talking about Jesus, talking about the scriptures with somebody outside of their small group of people who are already on board. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a deficiency. That to me is saying that is an area of weakness that we see regularly and that we can address. And so we talk a lot about concentric circles of responsibility is how we do discipleship that if you're not gifted to be a small group leader or to take along two or three Padawans to raise them up and send them out necessarily, that, that's a good thing to do, right? We like the multiplication idea. We just don't think everyone can do that necessarily, yeah. but we do believe everyone is supposed to disciple mm-hmm. and everyone is supposed to be able to talk about, share their faith at some level. It doesn't have to be from a stage, but it yeah. might be across the table at your home or it might so be always be prepared to, to give witness to the hope that you have. In and out, yes. And so let's look at and let's talk about how we can teach them how to talk about the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Let's train people that they understand it themselves, that they have already believed it themselves. Now they're understanding in a way that they can package it, right? This is a sermon from Sunday. The gospel doesn't change. But I need to recognize Drew, Ryan, Steve, Billy, Susan's spiritual maturity 
and package the gospel for them in a way that they understand it, mm-hmm. which means I have to know the gospel really well so that I don't change the message of Jesus or the cross, but s- present it in a way that they understand it, that they can comprehend it, that it might intrigue them to take a next step. Mm-hmm. And that's what our people need to be able to do, because when you do that, you equip so many people. I know Ryan can do it. I know Drew can do it. But I want my seventh graders to do it. I want like a senior in high school to do it. I want yeah. that mom who's going to coffee with some other moms to be able to do that on the fly. Because again, we're not worried about getting more people to Sunnybrook. We are wanting more people to be won over to the gospel. Yes. And if people aren't speaking the gospel, then that's going to be really hard to do. Not impossible. I believe all things are possible with a big God. But yeah. we've been commissioned to share the gospel. So any closing thoughts from you all before we um, finish this up? Um, I'm good. The The only thing I've just on what you said there is that requires a lot of discernment because yes. as, as you are seeking to tell people about Jesus, about the gospel, people are all, I mean, obviously different, different, different thoughts about who God is, different uh, intellectual abilities, different ways that God has wired them. And so to have a one-size-fit-all approach on, uh, at this class, we're going to teach you to share your faith. Well, here are some Mm non-negotiables, but then there's a huge amount of gray area that is going to have to flex and change based on kind of where this person is. So I think that is going to require on all of our part discernment on how to do that yep just know that uh we really are committed to thinking through this and to doing it as well as we're able and as well as the spirit will drive us to do it. so if you have ideas about ways that we can connect with the community or with lost uh people in stillwater come to one of us and let us know justin's right sometimes we can get a little kind of distant from the congregation because we we work to some extent i th- I don't think completely but to some extent in a little bit of a pastoral everybody i work with is a christian bubble and and some of the my favorite things that we've done at sunnybrook over the years have been one of your ideas that we just needed to kind of green light and figure out how to do it so let us know and then uh one simple way that this can happen is to as justin likes to remind us just bring a friend to church like mm-hmm. If you guys would do that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Right? Don't be surprised if we ask you to lead the ministry, which <laughs> you are suggesting. Um, truly, like we say that laughingly because we obviously are doing a lot already, uh, but we want to hand over opportunities, and we don't want to squelch ideas just because we don't have a person. We'd much rather like use the conviction you have, the passion you have, to train you, equip you, build you up so that you can do it. And that's a real thing, and we have a lot of people doing that. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's hypothetical here. We have people already doing that, and you could be one of them. So uh, just know that we love you, and we want to hear from you. If you have thoughts, questions, concern, please reach out to us. You can find all that information on our website, sunnybrookcc.org, and we will see you next time.